Urbishi Vad is here to talk about the National LGBTQ Plus Women's Community Survey and give us her spin on our LGBTQ issues. Hi, Urbishi. Hi, Charlotte. Thanks so much for having me on. Tell us about the uh, National LGBTQ Plus Women's Community Survey. It's a comprehensive national survey for people who've identified as women at any point in their journey and want to share their experience of centering women in their sexual, familial, emotional lives. You know, we're super inclusive in our definition of who is a lesbian, who is a queer woman, who's a woman, because we've been told our whole lives that we're not really the right kind of woman because we're queer, you know, and we don't belong. And so we wanted to create a really inclusive space, an inclusive survey, where women could self-identify as lesbian, bi, pansexual, trans, intersex, asexual, and queer women who partner with other women. We welcome trans men who want to report on their experience in partnering with women when they identified as or were perceived to be women, and also non-binary people who partner with or have partners with women. So the survey is an online survey. It's initiated and done by Justice Work, which is a little think tank, action tank that I created a few years ago for projects like this that address movement gaps and that strengthen the work of queer and progressive organizations. Just a couple other things that to note. People can go online and take it. They can do it on your phone. The survey is being done in partnership with Dr. Aliasa Sewell, who's a leading sociologist at Emory University, and Dr. Jamie Grant, who was one of the people who did the National Trans Discrimination Study years ago, and Dr. Carla Sutherland. We have an amazing advisory committee of, like, amazing activists and over 140 community organizations that have signed up to be partners and to help get the word out about the survey to their own communities. And finally, the survey is going to be live until the end of March 2022, and then we'll analyze their stuff and release findings in a range of ways, like one-pagers, reports, state reports, you know, online, in-person organizing, hopefully by then. <laughs> so that's what the survey is. What was your inspiration for creating it? There's a tremendous lack of current and accurate information about queer women's lives, and that was the first motivation. And a second was, you know, after all these years in the movement, as I've had, looking around, I saw that I observed that issues of importance to the lives of queer women, as LGBTQ plus women, are just not as prominent on the mainstream movement's agenda. Uh, for example, issues of reproductive health and reproductive justice aren't front and center. And that's a real issue for a lot of people. Or issues of income inequality and pay equity, which is a reality for you know, all women, and it's a real challenge. These need to be part of our agenda. So I was thinking about, well, does our community think that? What is our community experiencing? And how can we explore that and find out more? So that was the inspiration. What do you hope to accomplish with the survey? We hope to center LGBTQ plus women's life experiences and needs in the policy work and advocacy work and the organizing and the service delivery agendas of our movement, of both the LGBTQ plus movement and feminist organizations, as well as in the world of larger public policy. I mean, we just want to put these issues on the agenda. And hopefully we aim to create a powerful new tool of data, of information, 
for advocates who are working in a wide range of issues around families and health and workplace and violence and all the issues, among other issues that affect our lives. You're being honored at the Creating Change Conference with the uh, Susan J. Hyde Award in New Orleans in January. Uh, could you tell us about that? Sure. I mean, the award is named after Sue Hyde, who's truly one of the sharpest and best organizers I ever worked with in the LGBTQ movement. She was at the task force more than 25 years and helped lead the Creating Change Conference to sort of the national gathering spot that it is for queer activists all over this country. And the award recognizes longevity and service in the movement. And, you know, I'm really honored uh, and grateful to Sue and the task force for this. I guess if you stick around long enough, you might qualify for this award. What would you like to see happen for LGBTQ community in the uh, Biden-Harris administration? Our community has been working for years to get non-discrimination protections at the federal level. Uh, there's been very various versions of what is now called the Equality Act over the years. You know, honestly, I don't know if that act has a chance of passing, given the divided landscape in Congress. I know people are working hard for it. But, you know, with or without the passage of the act, people need to realize that the U.S. Equal Employment Opportunity Commission, federal courts, and the Supreme Court have all recognized that gender identity and sexual orientation are covered under current sex discrimination laws. It's a profound ruling that, frankly, the government is not enforcing enough. And I'd like to see the Biden administration just start doing that job of educating people about what that means, that we're covered under sex discrimination laws, that, you know, we have the right, even without a federal statute, to challenge discrimination in many workplace settings and other places. It doesn't cover everything, and that's one of the reasons we need some additional legislation. But we don't have to wait around to do very little because, in fact, there's been some really interesting progress made in large measure because of the work of the amazing High Bloom and others. So that's one thing I'd like to see them do is to enforce current regulations and laws and educate our community about that. Second, I'd love to see them work to address LGBTQ poverty. According to the Williams Institute data, 21% of our community lives below the poverty line. And I would guess that it has only increased in the last couple of years because of COVID. And that's a data point that very few people know because, you know, the federal poverty line is quite low. It's like 24000 or 25000 for a family of four. And it really is affecting a lot of our community. And the Biden administration could do a lot to provide funding for queer people or for organizations that are working to support queer people who are living below the poverty line. Uh, for example, I think it would be astonishing if the Biden administration would take on the needs of formerly incarcerated LGBTQ people. And again, we are overrepresented in that population. And there are very few resources for our community members who are formerly incarcerated. But people are working to build their lives and organizations and jobs, and that needs to be supported, uh, that reentry work, that organizing work. And 
the government needs to do more to include uh, queer people in every program, in every survey, in every grant-making body that it has. So sexual orientation and gender identity need to be added fully once and for all. Come on. It's way past time. You know, if it's not written in, it can easily be avoided or ignored. And, you know, then I've got other wish lists. I wish they would defend voting rights really aggressively and urgently because all of our lives depend on it. With LGBTQ teens already four times more likely to attempt suicide than their heterosexual peers after facing bullying incidents, what advice would you have to these kids, especially in these challenging times? Oh, my God. It's a very challenging time for young people and queer young kids especially. Even though we have so much more visibility and representation, people need a lot of support in dealing with particular contexts that they're in, whether it's familial homophobia, which is still really widespread, or peer bullying, or, you know, just feeling like they don't have any options. So I really think it's important for young people, I hope, they can find mentors and peers that you could honestly speak with. They could be mentors who are older or just peers that you can honestly speak with and talk about what's going on because isolation is really not great. And the moment was the most important thing when I was young, the moment we live in. And this is a very challenging moment that we have been given, the one we live in. But there is no doubt in my mind that we are capable of overcoming the challenge. And that's kind of why I engage in social change activism. It's not an easy job, but it's a life-enhancing and affirming one. And I always urge young people who have any kind of interest in that to consider getting involved in something that matters to them. It could be climate justice. It could be reproductive justice. It could be LGBTQ issues. It could be, you know, politics. And in a negative time, you have to take positive steps to feel good about yourself, to feel connected to others who are trying to make change. For me, that has been a life-saving experience. I'd love to read this little poem by June Jordan the black queer poet. She wrote this in an issue of The Progressive in 1999. Activism is not issue-specific. It's a moral posture that steady state propels you forward from one hard hour to the next. Believing that you can do something to make things better, you do something rather than nothing. You assume responsibility for the privilege of your abilities. You do whatever you can. You reach beyond yourself in your imagination and in your wish for understanding and for change. You admit the limitations of individual perspectives. You trust somebody else. You do not turn away. I think that's just such a great encapsulation to me of like an activist creed by June Jordan. How can people get information about the National LGBTQ Plus Women's Community Survey? Just Google that, and it'll take you to the website, which is lgbtqwomensurvey.org. And that tells you who's involved. It gives you the link. Take the survey. You can forward that to friends and encourage others to do so. There's contact information and a lot of other information. That's probably the easiest way. What other projects are you working on? Well, you know, I do work consulting with nonprofits, 
on a range of organizational development and strategy for the organization. With a small team, I work with a number of different organizations, mostly on strategy. That's one thing. Another project is that I've been part of the founding board of the American Museum of LGBTQ Plus History and Culture. And this is a startup effort. It's been going for a few years. Originators of the idea, they had the meeting, I don't know, maybe four years ago, and we got the board organized. And it's really exciting, the idea of building a institution that can provide, like, a space to tell stories about the LGBTQ liberation movement, about our wonderful, incredible community, uh, about our history that can provide educational materials, that can provide a destination spot to go, the likes of which we really need in this country. There are other wonderful history projects and museum projects around the country, a handful, and it's really, they're all really important. But I've been working on that. And then I've been working on a project to try to figure out how to secure a progressive future. <laughs> Sounds kind of grand, but we're threatened right now by the far-right growth in this country. Um, queer people have faced the right for many decades, and um, they've taken different forms, like in the 70s, the Anita Bryant Save Our Children campaign, so-called, the Moral Majority, the anti-AIDS campaigns in the 80s, the uh, anti-gay ballot initiatives in the 90s, and to the present day, the anti-trans bills in our lifetime, in recent years, there's so much uh, attack that we've been working on, that we've been facing. And so what do we need to do? What institutions do we need to build? What infrastructures do we need to build? How do we work today to secure queer space and progressive space and a social justice-based world into the future? We have to think long-term. So there's a project that I'm working on called the 22nd Century Initiative, which is all about that. Is there a question you wish people would ask you? Yes. Here's the question. Can you help me give away $20 million a year for the next five years to support queer women? <laughs> That's the question, Charlotte. And I think it would be amazing if philanthropists in our community would really focus on supporting queer women's leadership and organizing over the next several years. Do you have a favorite quote or mantra to get you through these difficult times? From, again, June Jordan, who's somebody I keep rereading and reading. And it's about power because so much of the work that I've done is trying to shift the kind of formation of power that exists to make it more distributed, to make it more accessible. And what she has this very tight little quote that says, quote, there is difference and there is power. And who holds the power decides the meaning of the difference. I've used that in the 80s, 90s, 2000s, a lot of times, just to say, you know, why do we do this work? We really want to be able to self-determine our lives, and we want all people to be able to do that. And we need the power to do that. I hope everybody has a happy holiday, and uh, remain optimistic no matter what. It's our strongest weapon, optimism and um, positive vibes and love. That's what we're about as a community and a movement. 
And uh, I wish you, Charlotte, a happy holidays. And thank you so much for your years and years of work on this program and on so many things that you've done. 